We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in partnership with Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, Justin Mello, here to recap the fourth consecutive Titans loss. This game was at least closer than I expected it to be. Uh, Justin, how you doing? It was. It was closer than I thought it would be. But you said it, four straight losses. We're starting to sound like a broken record, probably for our listeners. Look, this is sometimes football, ebbs and flows, right? You win five straight, you lose four straight. That's essentially, uh, you know, captures the Titan season at this point. Yeah, I mean, it is a long season, but it's crazy to think that three to four weeks ago, we were talking about how close the Titans were to clinching the division. And now, I mean, we'll get into this game in a second, but big picture wise... The Titans, first of all, don't deserve to win the division the way they're playing right now. The Jaguars are getting better as the season comes to an end. The Titans are getting worse. Titans will play the Jags again week 18. If they win that game, they're in the playoffs. It actually doesn't matter what happens against Houston this week, the Cowboys next Thursday. It really doesn't matter because if the Titans beat the Jaguars in week 18, they'll finish the season with the same record, assuming that the Titans go one and two and then the Jags go two and one. Titans and Jags will have split the head-to-head one-to-one and the Titans will win the tiebreaker on division record. So hope lives for the Titans if you want them to make the playoffs. I'm kind of at a point now where I don't want the Titans to make the playoffs, which seems <laughs> crazy. Like you always want your team to make the playoffs. I know anything can happen once you get in. You can go on a run. This team could get healthy. They could have brilliant game plans. You could have the ball bounce the right way and wind up winning some playoff games. But I don't want to reinforce to this staff, to the this fan base, that what they're doing right now is working and is the right way to proceed forward. So if they find success continuing like this, because it's fluky or whatever happens, that seems like just prolonging the inevitable potential teardown soft rebuild that the Titans could be facing. Yeah, see, where I'm going to disagree with you on a, a few things, and I, I think you'll end up ultimately agreeing with me, ironically, but I, I still do want them to make the playoffs. I, I think everyone should want them to make the playoffs. A couple things on that. Number one, it's too late to tank for draft positioning, right? Like, you've sure. already won seven games, finishing seven and ten or whatever. It's not going to help your draft positioning all that much, right? Seven and ten is what we call purgatory, right? You might as well be ten and seven, or you might as well be four and thirteen, right? Like, seven and ten is that in-between you don't want to be. So it's too late to really tank for draft positioning, in my opinion. So that's not an option. I want them to make the playoffs. I want them to win the division. Those are goals you set out. You, you want to achieve those things. Again, you've reached this point, you might as well achieve them. Secondly, I don't think this organization and staff is naive enough to fall into that trap of what you just said, where, oh, it's working, so we're going to proceed forward. They just fired the general manager a couple of weeks ago that's got a winning season every single year since he got here. So I think they're pretty level-headed. They've got a clear process here where they know it's not working. Miss Amy yeah. Adams Strunk knows it's not working. Mike Rabel knows it's not working. They know they have to make improvements. And if that's the case, if that was the case two weeks ago when they fired John Robinson, that's going to remain the case if they crawl 
through the back door into the postseason, get blown out in the first round, whatever. They know that this is this thing's not working and it needs to be either torn down and rebuilt or maybe you're lucky you can do a retool, a quick turnaround, whatever the case may be, depending on how the offseason goes. All this to say, I don't worry that they're going to fall into that trap. Right. So let's get into this game then. The Titans fall 17-14 to the Chargers in Los Angeles. I was there. It was a great atmosphere. Chargers fans were loud. It was, I mean, it was cool. I, I thought the Chargers fans were not that committed and dedicated. You know, they've had trouble filling their stadium and the stadium wasn't full. And I saw a decent number of Titans fans there too. But when the moments called for Chargers fans to get up and get loud, it was loud. Titans offense just doesn't look like an NFL offense, they are now averaging the 29th most points per game, which is 18.2 points per game. They're the only three teams worse than them are the Carolina Panthers, who have fired their head coach already, the Los Angeles Rams, who have had even worse injury luck than the Titans this year, and the Houston Texans, who are barely even trying to win football games, which we'll talk about later this week when we get to that preview episode. But the Titans offense, I mean, I'm honestly surprised they scored 14 points. Like, it just looks so hard to do anything. Anytime they get into a third and obvious passing situation, I'm expecting a sack to happen. It's like, you know, we've talked about how Vrabel thinks, like, how else are we supposed to do? This is what we, this is all we can do to win games, like, in reference to committing to being a run first team. It's true. If they try to drop back, I mean, the Chargers pass rush has struggled this year. The Titans made them look like the, one of the best pass rushes in the NFL on Sunday. They didn't have Bosa. They didn't right. have Joey Bosa, right? So imagine if they had him out there, how much worse it would have been. No, I, I've been saying that all year long, right? Like, it's they are who they are. They have to try to run the ball because they can't throw it with any consistency. And one thing that struck me from this game was the point I wanted to make the most, I think, on this episode. Not that it's some grand point, but... You can correct me if I'm wrong. You were there, as you said. There were three sacks in this game. I think that all occurred in the second half that were all really limiting, right? I, they, they all forced punts, if I'm remembering correctly. They were second and third down sacks. Um, one of them was given up by Dennis Daly. I think the first one was given up by Dennis Daly on the classic Dennis Daly play where he gets trip help from the tight end and he still can't do anything about it. The second sack was given up by Aaron Brewer, I believe, right? Where we've seen his struggles in pass, bro. He's sub 300 pounds. That This is going to happen when you have a sub 300 pound lineman starting. They're going to struggle in pass, bro, against interior defensive linemen. It, by the way, and no disrespect. I really don't mean it. Sack was given up to a guy I've never heard of. Not familiar right. with him whatsoever. They said his name. I, I'm still not entirely sure who he is. <laughs> Third sack, the final one that I'm talking about, was given up by Nicholas Petit-Friere. Where I, I don't even I, I don't even know what that was. He kind of lunged out of his stance. He missed his punch altogether. Was really sloppy. When I think of us talking, we've done this before about him playing out of control. That's what it was. He's playing out of control, and that's a big issue. It's really sloppy, right? Gives up the third sack. Those three sacks allowed by three different offensive linemen. They're your three worst offensive linemen in pass protection by far, and they perfectly sum up what this team is, right? Like you said, it's. Every time they go to drop back, you feel like they're going to allow a sack. And any one of those three players are liable to allow a sack in, at any given moment in pass protection. And that's yeah. why this team, you need guys that can pass protect. You need guys that can get open and catch. Like I was asked earlier today by a colleague of mine, um, so are you ready to punt on Ryan Tannehill? And I'm like, not really. Like no. I'm fine if they, and, and it wasn't in reference to this game, it was just in general. Like uh, you think they're ready to move on from Ryan Tannehill. 
Look, they might be ready to move on from Ryan Tannehill, and I, I, you know, I'm not going to lose my mind if they do. It's not like trading AJ Brown, right? And I think you would agree on that. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to spend all off season searching for a quarterback that's going to come in and have the same issues behind an offensive line that can't pass protect and a group of wide receivers that can't separate. Right. Like, focus all your attention this off season on getting guys that can block, getting guys that can catch. Worry about quarterback after that. And I know I quarterback's totally a much more important position, and you've got to find one where you can. It's super important. Sets up your franchise for the next 10 years. It's the most important position in all of pro sports. I agree with that. But you have to find some offensive linemen. You have to find some receivers. Before I turn it back over to you, Mike Vrabel said, and I think I'm, and I'm glad he said it. It was after the game, and it, the fans need to hear this. It's not just offensive linemen. He said there were times during that game where they gave Ryan Tannehill time. And what does he find? A bunch of receivers that are covered and not running open, right? Yeah. The, they work hand in hand. You can't pass protect. You can't separate. God, it's a recipe for it's a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for what you're seeing right now on Sundays from the Tennessee Titans, from their passing attack. I'm glad Vrabel said it. It's not always obvious to the average fan, and I don't mean that as an insult. We're all watching the TV copy. You can't always see what's happening down the field. You don't see if guys are open or not, right? It's all going bad. Yeah. You know, the Titans actually gave up four sacks total in this game. You, you men- mentioned three specific examples. I think one of the turning points in the game, this is on player execution, but it's also on Todd Downing and Mike Vrabel for approving whatever play calls he makes to know your limitations. And like, obviously they do because that's all Mike Vrabel talks about whenever anyone asks him why they don't open up the offense. And in reference to that answer, you just gave us there about how sometimes there's guys not open. The Titans get a first down and 10 at the Chargers 25 yard line mm-hmm. on first and 10. They drop back to pass. Ryan Tannehill gets sacked. I believe Dennis Daly gave that one up or that might've been the Aaron Brewer sack puts him in second and 16. And it's like, okay, this great drive that they marched down the field. They finally put something together after struggling to move the ball for the majority of the game outside of one good drive. They finally are moving the ball. They get down to the 25 bang. They take a sack second and 16. It's like, just come out of this with three points because who knows if you're going to be down this far down the field again with position to, to get points on the board in a game that was currently tied 7-7 at the moment. Second and 16, they hand it off to Henry, picks up seven yards, which is a pretty good run, and sets up a third and nine. And I'm thinking in my head, like, you run the ball on second and 16 because you're trying to save whatever you can out of this drive and create a manageable field goal. But on third and nine, they drop back to pass, and Tannehill gets sacked again. Number one, Tannehill cannot take a sack there because your kicker beyond 40 yards is a coin flip at best. (laughs) Number two, you can't call a play that requires your offensive line to block for more than one and a half seconds on that play. If you're going to pass the ball, it's got to be a quick pass where you're just hoping whoever catches it can break a tackle and pick up yards after catch. Or you run the ball. When they're not expecting it on third and long, you run a draw to Henry or just a, a standard handoff play. Let him get three to five yards. If he breaks a tackle or rips off one of the, he had a few 10-yard runs in this game. If he rips off one of those, you're first, in, first down in the red zone. But the worst thing you can do is lose yards there. Anyway, Tannehill gets sacked. It sets up a 51-yard field goal, which as Randy Bullock's trotting out onto the field, how many Titans fans are even confident that that kick is going through? Because I wasn't. Were you confident? I'm so glad you brought this up. I had zero confidence that he was going to make that kick. And I want to say a couple things about it. Number one, great point on your part. Todd Downing deserves criticism for the way they handled um, those three plays because it's almost sad because 
what are we calling? We're calling for them to be conservative instead of being aggressive, right? right. You, ne you never necessarily want to do that, but it's really just a reflection of what you know your offense is. You know this is a terrible offense. You know they can't pass protect. It's a close ball game at that point. Take the points, right? Take Run the, the ball, take the points. What do they do? They get, they get aggressive. I can't believe we're, we're, we're kind of criticizing them for that, right? You want to drop back and pass the ball, especially on, in the, on the cusp of the red zone. But, but you're right, especially after you took that first down sack, you should have learned your lesson, right? right? You're lucky to get seven yards on that next run. Makes it about a 43, 44-yard field goal. You're back in range. Learn, learn your lesson. You can't drop back and pass again after what happened on first down. Run it again. Because even a 44-yard field goal, you worry a little about Randy Bullock. Try yeah. to get to a 41-yard field goal, a 40-yard field goal, right? So make three, four yards, something more makeable. You drop back, pass again, 51-yard field goal. He misses it. Another, what I want to add to it before we pivot away from it is I had 0% confidence, zero faith that he was going to make that kick. And I thought Mike Vrabel, and, and, and semi-speculation, semi-not, I feel like Mike Vrabel probably knew he wasn't going to make that kick. To Honestly. me, Mike Vrabel even attempting that kick, in all honesty, is a sad reflection of how bad his offense is. He knows it's terrible. He probably should have punted on that play. But it's him saying, oh, God, I don't know if we're going to get back here, right? If there's a third, it's a close ball game. If there's a 25% chance, a 30% chance he makes this kick, we need to try it because we need points. I thought they should have punted because I have 0% faith that he's making a 51-yard field goal. He so predictably missed it. But I thought that was Mike Vrabel saying, God, he's probably not going to make this kick, but we're so bad we have to try it. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about this, actually, because, I mean, it ended up really being the difference in the game. The Titans get those three points there, and everything else plays out the way that it played out, which you kind of – like, it kind of would have, I think. Like, that, that – field goal going in or going out doesn't really change how the Chargers are calling offense, how the Titans are calling defense, et cetera, et cetera. If the Chargers make it 14-10 and then the Titans are driving down the field still needing a touchdown and make it 17-14, then Cameron Dicker's kick at the end of the game is to go to overtime. It's not to win it. If the Titans had Cameron Dicker instead of Randy Bullock, they win this game because the Chargers yeah. would have had to pick up some other random kicker off the street Maybe he still makes the same kicks, but even if he does, the Titans are at least at 17-17. I think this is another reason that has not really been discussed by anyone that I've seen in the media. Why John Robinson was let go. We talk about his draft misses. We talk about the trade, A.J. Brown, some busts in free agency, some busts in the draft, some good picks in the draft, some guys he found in later rounds, some obvious great picks like Jeffrey Simmons. But what we never really talk about is the kicker position. And it was John Robinson's decision to let Ryan Suckup go, thinking he was at the end of his career. Ryan Suckup has been a solid kicker, went and won a Super Bowl the next year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Titans have never been able to replace him, and that is John Robinson's job. And you have guys coming into the league this year, like Cameron Dicker, who has kicked for multiple teams in 2022 because teams had their kickers get injured, and they signed Cameron Dicker for a few weeks. First he was with the Eagles, now he's with the Chargers. He's a rookie kicker that was on the street that I watched kick for Texas for years because that's where he, he came from, Dicker the kicker. Um, and the fact that John Robinson, I mean, sure, he tried. Caleb Shudak got injured in training camp. That's a tough blow. But instead of trying to replace him with another potential kicker, you just throw him on IR and say, whatever, when he gets back, we'll be fine with Randy Bullock until then. Randy Bullock misses the potential game-winning kick in the first game of the season. Not the potential game-winning kick. The game-winning. It would have won the game. Like, 
game yeah. over, zeros on the board, it would have won the game. So I think like another thing the Titans struggle with, and we've discussed on this podcast how Mike Vrabel is a guy who finds the hidden advantages, right? And that's one of his biggest strengths as a coach is finding those things that you don't necessarily see in the box score that add up to wins. Having a good kicker that you feel confident can make a 51-yard field goal is one of those things, and the Titans haven't had that literally since Ryan Suckup left. And even Ryan Suckup, like, 51-yard field goal was about the peak of his range when he was kicking with the Titans before his injury. So even then, you wonder if John Robinson's negligence towards special teams in the kicker position, I mean, he did find a, a new rookie punter who's been the best punter in the NFL this year, but the negligence toward the kicker position has cost the Titans multiple wins just this season, let alone going back the last few years when you had, you know, four missed kicks in one game against Buffalo and whatever else has happened at the kicker position. It has cost the Titans wins. And I wonder if that's another reason John Robinson is no longer the general manager. It's part of it, right? I, I do think Randy Bullock has been pretty bad this year in all honesty, right? Like anytime you're rolling out a kicker, to make a 50-yard field goal, and you have zero confidence he's going to make that kick, that's a problem, right? Because it is within makeable range. And I thought you did a good job highlighting where Cameron Dicker came from because they just they did sign him off the streets a few weeks ago, right? Like, right. And now he's probably their kicker because he's been, he's been excellent. Teams are making other things look easy, right, with the Titans make look hard. Um, before we probably close out this episode, in all honesty, one thing I did want to highlight about this game, and it's a sad admission, it's a sad realization, is... Wouldn't it be so easy to blame injuries on the defense for this losing streak? And and you could argue it was, you know, partially certainly to blame for the Jacksonville loss. You know, you allow 36 points and, and you know, you score 22. This year for the Titans, at times, 22 points have been enough points to win, right? Defense were holding teams under 20 most times, especially during that win streak. So you would you almost wish you could blame the defense for losing this game because you knew it was going to be tough going in without Dina Coatri, Christian Fulton, Amani Hooker, David Long, Zach Cunningham, Elijah Molden. I could go on and on. But it wasn't, right? It, it was the offense's fault they lost this game, in my opinion, right? Guys like Greg Maben, you know, came in, played all right. Joshua Kalu played good football. Andrew Adams, Demarcus Walker, all of these guys stepped up and played pretty good football. And then you lose Dylan Cole in the middle of this game. You lose Terrence Mitchell. You got a UDFA linebacker and Jack Gibbons playing really for the first time. You've got John Reed and Greg Maben playing a lot of snaps at corner. Uh, they just got here essentially. Right? I know Maben's been here for three years as patient zero, but they, <laughs> these guys just got here essentially again, right? So you'd love to you'd love to have that crutch in all honesty, right? They're missing all those guys, but no, this game's on the offense. And then what's the sad reality of that? They're really only missing Traylon Burks on offense. Traylon Burks has been good for them. He's been great at times. He's not going to come in and make this a 30-point-a-game offense. He might. He's probably not even going to come in and make this a 22-point-a-game offense, right? right? So, And Kyle Phillips ain't coming back, it seems. So you're really only missing Traylon Burks. All this to say it's not going to get much better from here, at least on offense, right. and that's the reason they lost this game. And I, I really want to – I'm glad you brought up how well the defense played because I think that that is – the talking point of this game is that the Titans defense played well enough to win despite missing more starters than they had healthy in this game. They really did a great job shutting down this Chargers offense. There was obviously a few great plays that the Chargers made. Mike Williams catch with however many seconds left to set up the game winning field goal was incredible and an incredible throw on the run by Justin Herbert. And that's going to happen when you're playing great players. But overall guys who don't normally play that much, especially not together, on this defense 
did a really good job to to be a you know just like a wall of a unit there that they got sacks at timely times they got turnovers at timely times they ended two promising drives with interceptions kevin byard with a great read and a great break on the ball and to knock the receiver out of the way to get his hands on it and can we talk about what was probably the best interception i've seen in my lifetime in the <laughs> nfl when roger mccreary jumps out of bounds to grab a Justin Herbert pass and throws it back inbounds to Joshua Kalu, who has the awareness to suddenly catch the ball and tap his feet down inbounds, despite not knowing that that ball was coming to him in the blink of an eye to end what would have been at least a field goal drive to close the half for the Chargers, possibly a touchdown drive, and really keep this Titans game in it, Titans team in the game. The, this defense, and I know this is a solid locker room, this isn't going to happen, but this is the type of game where the, the, you know, the dam can break and the defense can say, man, what do we got to do to get a win? Like we are giving it everything we can with guys we just signed off the street and it's still not enough, even in a good performance. So shout out to the guys who made incredible plays on this defense. Josh Kalu, you mentioned, had that unbelievable tackle in the backfield, dropped DeAndre Carter for a 10-yard loss. Like those kinds of plays, Demarcus Walker with two sacks, one of which was Jeffrey Simmons making a great play and getting to the quarterback and forcing him off his spot at Demarcus Walker cleaning it up. I mean, really nice job by some guys on this defense who don't get the credit and won't because, you know, Roger McCreary to Joshua Kalu interception happened in a, if that happens in a win, it's a highlight you show, you know, from Roger McCreary's whole career and every hype video that the Titans make like that play will be in it. But now because it's associated with a loss, it's almost going to get lost in the history of whatever this, terrible season has become i'm glad you brought you gave credit to joshua kalu there because i haven't seen enough credit for him everyone roger mccurry and he deserves it but i thought uh, kalu deserved just as much chatter for having the heads up to, because he didn't know that was coming right to be like whoa right to catch the ball tap his toes in i thought that was excellent play by joshua kalu who i've always been a big fan of excellent special teams player love that they brought him back Demarcus Walker up to six and a half sacks now this year what a story unbelievable i think third on the team trailing just jeffrey simmons uh, and Dina Coatri, I believe. I, I still, I think he might have leaped in front of Rashad Weaver now, or it's it's neck and neck with him and Weaver after that two sack performance on Sunday. Um, it's a story of being a cursed Titans fan. You talked about the offense saying, "What do we have to do?" In uh, 2019, it felt like, or sorry, 2020. It was they had an excellent offense and a bad defense the whole year. The next year, it totally flipped. Right last season, they had a great defense and a bad offense. And this year, it's uh, basically gone in that same direction, but even worse, in my opinion, right? Where they have a good defense and maybe an even worse offense than they had last year. So uh, they just haven't been able to, to kind of string this together at the same time. Um, I want to give Ryan Tannehill a shout out as well for just yes. the incredible toughness he displayed. We haven't even mentioned it yet. Ryan Tannehill goes down in the first series, barely escapes a sack, but tackled from behind by Khalil Mack. It's a little rolled up on and twists or you know further injures his ankle, he's had injuries to both ankles he's been dealing with this year. Not sure which one was injured on this play, but so bad that he, you know, he limps off the field, struggles to get off the field, goes immediately into the blue tent, walking with Derrick Henry, who, as soon as he's done talking with Tannehill, goes over to Malik Willis basically to say, I think you're up, bud. Tannehill goes into the blue tent, and then we're all wondering, you know, is he getting taped up? Is he, is he, it's a serious injury? And then the cart comes out, and you're like, holy crap, this must be really bad. Tannehill leaves the game on a cart, goes back to the locker room. Malik Willis comes in, actually played kind of decent for the one drive he was in. I thought he, you know, was 
looked at the best that he's looked as a quarterback in terms of getting the ball to receivers, made a couple nice completions, made a really nice move to avoid pressure and run for some yards. But eventually the drive stalls, holding penalties happen. But Ryan Tannehill comes back in, and the first drive back in, he leads a touchdown drive. And you're thinking, okay, maybe Tannehill's okay. But, you know, after every series, after almost every play, it looked like he was hobbling around out there, could barely move on that ankle. But that didn't stop him from taking in the game-tying touchdown in the final minute of the game on a QB sneak with a bad ankle plowing forward into the end zone. Just incredible toughness from this Titans quarterback who has dealt with so much this year from bad pass protection to poor weapons to throw to to poor game plans. I mean, like you said at the top of this episode, I am nowhere ready to move on from Ryan Tannehill. I think if you if you take him out of this Titans team, they are a three-win team at best right now. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think his toughness doesn't get enough credit. I think he's an incredibly tough player, incredibly tough quarterback. The fact that he was even willing to return to that game, as you said, run a QB sneak at the end to tie it up. Ryan Tannehill is literally a do-whatever-it-takes type of player, and he is the leader of this football team. And and, and Mike Vrabel loves Ryan Tannehill. I, I really do believe that. And uh, I, I agree. I think you need to focus the offseason on surrounding him with more talent. Um, that would be my number one priority. Although, again, I, I do understand if they look to go in a different direction at quarterback, if they do decide this is probably a rebuild. But I ultimately think they need to surround the offense with way more talent than it currently has. Yeah, and it's funny because they talked all offseason about sur- uh, surrounding Ryan Tannehill with more weapons, and they, they, don't, they didn't do that at all. Um, yeah, the, they, the weapons were Chris Conley and Dennis Daly, apparently. Yeah, right. Um, Dylan Radins played in this game at left tackle. He came in after, I think, after the first series and um, played 10 pass blocking snaps and allowed zero uh, sacks, which I guess is pretty good. <laughs> 10 snaps. Than Dennis Daly's done, I imagine. Um, but then he gets hurt, and Dennis Daly had to come back in. And, I mean, good job for Dylan Radins getting out there and playing a little bit, but, you know, availability is your best ability or whatever. So it didn't actually end up helping. I mean, whatever. I, I I guess it was interesting to see the coaching staff finally try to make that change. But, you know, if you can't stay on the field, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's unfortunate more than anything. It's not like he's a guy that I mean, he hasn't played a lot of football, but he's not someone that I'd say he's been, you know, injury prone throughout his time in Tennessee so far. So really unfortunate timing. I thought they should have just started with him. I hate that rotation bullshit. I think it's the stupidest thing. Offensive lineman is a unit. They are one. You couldn't be switching your left tackle every other drive. Uh, I remember the Colts did it earlier this year with their rookie tackle, Bernard Raymond uh, from, I believe he's Austrian. And I thought it was so stupid. I thought it was so funny, embarrassing. And here the Titans are doing the same bullshit. Uh, I think they should have just started the game with Dylan Radins. And if he's healthy on Saturday, this is a short week. I'd love to see him get the start against the Texans. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, Derrick Henry, this is another game. The Titans have a productive Derrick Henry, 21 carries for 104 yards and a touchdown, and the team's leading receiver, four receptions for 59 yards. And the Titans offense still can't get it done. Chig Aquanco finished the game with four catches for 54 yards, including a crucial catch to set up the game-tying touchdown. He's got to play more. Austin Hooper called for two holding penalties in this game. I guess we should say Dylan Radins was also called for a holding penalty. It's just like maybe, I mean... Maybe it's what they have to do because of the personnel they have, but it seems like these guys are overmatched for what they're being asked to do. Austin Hooper is an okay run blocker, but he's not a guy that you can set against a team's, you know, star outside linebacker, um, Khalil Mack, or even Kyle Van Noy, and expect him to successfully block them one-on-one. 
the Titans don't maybe don't have a guy that can do that. You know, Jeff Swain, we complain a lot about how much Jeff Swain plays. Jig's still a rookie. You don't necessarily expect him to be able to do that, but just continuing to put guys in positions that are not necessarily setting them up for success. And can we talk about really quickly, this is the last thing I want to do is complain about Todd Downing a little bit more. And the announcers were even doing this during the game, taking Derrick Henry off the field on these third and shorts. You have the one third and two where Tannehill tries to throw it to Robert Woods and he's got Asante Samuel Jr. all over him. The ball's not even really close. You have another third and short where he tries to throw to Chigga Quanco. Take Try to take advantage of a matchup with Kyle Van Noy, outside linebacker, dropping into coverage on him, and the ball's not even close. It's pretty good coverage. Chig can't get to the ball. But why the continued dedication to taking Derrick Henry off the field? Like, if you have Dontrell Hilliard healthy, you know you have a guy who has a really good skill set as a pass catcher on third downs. Sure, maybe I understand it, but some of these third downs, and Henry was running the ball pretty well for most for the most part in this game. Taking him off the field on these third and shorts continues to just frustrate me as much as anything that this offense does. I wanted to interrupt you. I didn't because that is my beef of the week, sponsored by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden. Those two third and twos for me, I think they were both third and two, or one was third and three at most, were brutal. Taking Henry off the field, not running the ball. Look, there's a scenario where I know there's a scenario out there where if they go heavy personnel and they tip run, that it could get stuffed, right? Like we've talked a lot on this show about how teams have been playing these bare fronts, these aggressive run blitzes, and they have been hitting Derrick Henry a lot at the line of scrimmage, and the Chargers did it a little bit on Sunday. But you're talking about one of the worst run defenses in the league. It's third and two. You know you can't pass protect. Uh, you know you can't throw the ball with efficiency. I would have liked to see Derrick Henry run the ball on, on at least one of those plays. And if it gets stuffed, I, I'm literally – I wouldn't have complained about the play call. I would just say, hey, it is what it is. You ran your best player on third and short and uh, tip your cap to the defense. They made a play. But they don't do that. They get fancy. They pass the ball. They're not good at passing the ball. Look, other teams do this shit all the time. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I was informed today, a stat I looked up, Miami Dolphins had five – third and shorts against the Buffalo Bills uh, on that excellent game that we w- watched on the week, on the Saturday, I think it was, right? Saturday night, primetime. They had five third and shorts. Raheem Mostert had a, look up Raheem Mostert's stat line, had a bunch of big runs, right? On all five third and shorts, they passed the ball, Miami. All five of them, they went 0 for 5 on those wow. five, Pat. Third, third and twos, right? And that's Mike McDaniel, an offensive-minded head coach. They were running the ball with success. They're probably going to the playoffs. So teams do this shit all the time, right? Like, let's be clear in all honesty. But, um, but that's that's my beef of the week for me. It's I, I want to see Derrick Henry run the ball at least on one of those, if not both of them. I was disappointed they went past on the first one. Couldn't believe they went past on the second one again after it failed. On top of it, like you said, Henry's not on the field for both of those plays. So as much as you talk about tipping run, you're kind of tipping pass right as well. Right. So uh, you're tipping either way. And if I'm going to tip one of them, I'm going to tip it with my best offensive player. Right. And even on the point of the Miami Dolphins, like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are the reason that the right. Miami Dolphins offense has been so good this year. I'm OK, even if it didn't work five times with, right. you know, thinking that that is your best potential option for the Titans. Yeah. Derrick Henry, your leading rusher, your leading receiver, yards from scrimmage king in this game. And the Titans vastly outgained overall. But Derrick Henry with over 150 scrimmage yards, it's like. Uh, the Titans had like less than 200 total yards of offense. So that's almost all of the yards is Derrick Henry. And you take him off the field in those situations. Like even if he's on the field and he's not the target of the play, at least give the defense, you know, someone to focus on. But whatever. I think that is an excellent beef of the week presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden. Anything else on this game you want to say before we end this episode? 
No, I think that does it. I said everything. I had a lot in my mind coming into this episode. I covered everything we wanted to cover. Uh, we'll be back later this week with a guest to preview, uh, I guess, a pretty big game, in my opinion, here against the Houston Texans. Yeah, even though it ultimately doesn't matter because the Titans just have to win week 18. But it'd be nice to give themselves a little bit of cushion so they don't have to, they don't have to pull a Colts well, you from could last the season. Before that, right? Like even with you one can. more win, if Jacksonville loses both, you clinch the division. So try telling Mike Rabel it doesn't matter on Saturday. Oh yeah, absolutely. So if, it'd be ideal if they could clinch the division before week 18. But also, you know, they got to start playing a lot better to to convince me that they deserve a playoff spot because I know it's like yeah, it's the whole season, but. At this point, NFL fans around the world would much rather see the Jaguars in the playoffs because they're a more fun team to watch. The Titans are one of the most boring teams to watch in the league right now because their offense is so bad and they can't throw the ball because they can't pass protect and they can't get open. So it is what it is. We will be back later this week, as you said. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. You can follow me at Titans Film Room. Thanks again to the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden. And again, be sure to check out BroadwaySportsMedia.com where you can become a Broadway insider. Yeah, become a Broadway insider today. It's $6.99 a month. You can use the code INSIDER to get your first month for just $0.99 or use the code ANNUAL uh, for a total of $49.99 for your first year. Lots of great uh, benefits to becoming a Broadway Insider. We've got the Mike Herndon Show uh, behind the paywall. That's a weekly video show going out every week with your favorite Mike Miracles, Mike Herndon. That's obviously a big perk to becoming a Broadway Insider. You get early access to some of the podcasts, uh, a lot of written content behind that paywall. Whether that written content comes from me, it comes from Zach at uh, F. Words pod. Uh, it's coming from Easton. There's a lot of content coming your way if you're a Broadway insider. Become an insider today. You won't regret it. And check out all the other podcasts and content Broadway Sports has to offer. All right, that'll do it for us. Again, we'll be back later this week. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.